Hello everyone and welcome back to the History Hour. I'm your host and guide Blaine and today we have Mary Langworthy back in the studio with us to talk about some really interesting things that are going on at the museum as well as a new exhibit that is going on right now for Everett Roos. So hi Mary, thanks for coming back. Hi Blaine, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. So what do you have for us? <laughs> so today we are talking about Everett Ruiz and an exhibit that we have at the museum this winter. We have a traveling exhibit consisting of a bunch of block prints from Everett Ruiz. He's a vagabond artist, writer, man of mystery, and a really interesting part of Canyon Country lore in the region. So... Um, we have, through the end of the month of February, a collection of 23 of his block prints made uh, during his travels, and a bunch of photographs of the original line-of-cut blocks from which the prints were made, as well as some of his writing and poetry and a bit of um, contextual information about his life, which was a really fascinating one. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Cool. So, uh, so basically, um, can you kind of uh, go over a little bit of as to who exactly he was? Um, I know we had talked a little bit before the show, and uh, he, uh, I really like to hone in on this culture of him being a vagabond, kind of going through and doing his block prints and stuff like sure. that. Sure. Yeah. So a little bit of an overview of Everett Ruiz, his life, where he came from. Um, he was a, a vagabond in Canyon Country a long time ago. Mm -hmm. He disappeared during his travels near Escalante when he was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. That was in 1934. So his travels around the region and also around California, the Sierras, the Four Corners, Monument Valley, um, places like that spanned the last about five years of his life. Um, he was traveling around. He left home in California when he was about 15 and really kind of took to the roads, took to the trails, and covered a lot of ground hmm. during his short life. Yeah. He traveled um, along the California coast a lot and began writing home. Um, he kept in good touch with his parents, who were also big inspiring forces in his creative career and he began making block prints he also did some watercolors and some sketches uh, but is most known artistically for his prints today yeah. so a, a very short life and quite a while ago but he is someone who has been a real touchstone and a real source of inspiration for a lot of people since. Mm. Edward Abbey was inspired by Ruiz and quotes him and uh, describes him in some of his work. Yeah. Um, also the Into the Wild book and movie mm. yeah. Um, about... Supertramp. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Chris McCandless, Alexander <laughs> Supertramp, however yeah. you know that individual, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, kind of cites... Ruiz as um, a source of inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, so his his short life has led to a lot of legend and a lot of mm. inspiration that really resonates with people around the region today. Mm -hmm. And in addition to his artistic legacy, it, he was a 
sounds like quite a um, interesting, outgoing young person too. He mm-hmm. traded prints with Ansel Adams. He was photographed by Dorothea Lange. He wow. really made a lot of connections with other contemporary artists, writers, thinkers of his time across the region mm-hmm. and um, touched a lot of lives, yeah. had a lot of adventures, made a lot of connections mm-hmm. during his travels. Yeah. That's awesome, yeah, because it's kind of like there's this uh, sort of a spirit in Moab and kind of, well, yeah, till this day, you know, going back to the end of the wild individual, Chris McAnalyst or Alexander Supertramp, however people know him, um, of just leaving home, going out on foot and setting out on this mission to just be out there, you know, and, you know, just out there. He Was he on foot most of the time? He hiking was around? on foot hiking with his two burrows frequently, um, okay. also some travel on horseback. There's a photo that's part of this traveling exhibit mm-hmm. of him on horseback. Um, it's remarkable. He's just this really young, boyish looking yeah. guy because um, he was. He was yeah. a kid um, yeah. for, for a lot of this. Huh. And um, yeah, largely traveling on foot and mm. kind of camping way out mm. in, the, in the wilds. Something I think is um, kind of an interesting way to look at his life is um, looking at his parents. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of times we think of, there's an inclination to think of people as as self-made and having developed their own personality entirely by themselves. Mm-hmm. But um, perhaps unsurprisingly, his parents were both really creative type folks as well yeah, um, i was just about to ask about this. so like were they were they supportive like do we know if they were supportive of his decision to tramp around candy country and make block prints and do watercolor and stuff yeah uh by and large yes um what survives in terms of uh everett's writing is a lot of correspondence with his parents mm-hmm. He is the younger of two sons. His mother, Stella, Mm -hmm. uh, was also an artist, a block printer herself. And it seems like Everett was really inspired by that and gained a lot of skills from her. His father, Christopher Ruiz, was a Unitarian minister, a graduate of Harvard, and they had kind of transplanted to California from... Massachusetts um, to LA, kind of following the parents' careers. But the parents were um, very artistic themselves. Mm -hmm. There's uh, accounts that Everett started wood carving, working with clay, sketching at a really early age as a little kid. Uh, Around the age 12, he was writing essays and kind of beginning to dabble in more creative um, poetic form and began a diary that was really literary and rich and grew into many, many books, um, kind of chronicling first his growing up and then his his travels as mm-hmm. he continued to grow up. Hmm. So this, is, this sort of sounds like something that he did just because he had a passion for it. He wasn't necessarily running away from home. It doesn't sound like he was running away from anything at all just to come out and to tramp around Canyon Country and do this. So it sounds like that he was just sort of carrying on that passion that his mother had, you know, and his family. So that's pretty cool. 
you know. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, because yeah. typically these stories of people trampling around, like Alexander Supertramp, Chris McCandless, you know, people like that, you know, who, you know, uh, have made such a, uh, who have become icons in, in, in you know, in the dirtbag world and tramping, tr- basically tramping around. Uh, usually it's kind of like a running away from home type of scenario or running away from something. But it sounds like this guy was actually, uh, pursuing something instead of necessarily running away from something which i like i like i like that part absolutely that's a really great point um yeah just thinking about in comparing that with into the wild there's Mm -hmm. very much this sense of i must leave the evils of society (laughs) and yeah some of his quotations he has some critique of society Mm. indeed but the uh, collection of his essays I'm looking at right now, mm-hmm. Everett Ruiz, A Vagabond for Beauty, I think, <laughs> nice. encapsulates that well. I and like that. a lot of his most popular quotations are just kind of about, like, a reverence, a sense of wonder, a sense of excitement about what he was exploring, mm-hmm. instead of just, uh, I'm fleeing the, the evils of the world. Mm. Yeah. yeah. He left at 15. He hadn't yeah. worked a nine to five. He wasn't running away from that, you know? 15 years old. He was so five years. He yeah. Was tramping around our canyon country here in our region. And wow. And within that five years, um, a lot further afield than canyon country. Yeah. He really um, spent a lot of time in the high Sierras. Okay, yeah. Um, a lot of time also on the coasts of California. Mm-hmm. And his block prints on exhibit at the museum this winter um, really span that breadth of landscapes and mm. sceneries. Wow. Something like that's that. been really neat at the museum, just listening to visitor feedback and comments from guests and people wandering through the exhibit mm-hmm. so far. Um, people have pointed out, you know, he's, he's working carving line-of-cut prints, which... Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with the medium, there's not a lot of room for, or or his didn't have a huge amount of detail, I should Mm. say. They're um, very, they're black and white. They're um, relatively small. I think they're about five by seven Mm -hmm. inches. And um, even within within that space, within Mm -hmm. that medium, within his really blossoming artistic career he's Mm -hmm. very young he manages to get a lot of geological nuance and Mm -hmm. a lot of nuance about um kind of the trees and the the flora of the region we've had a couple of visitors comment like wow i can tell that that's sandstone just because of (laughs) (laughs) that mesa he really understood the rocks he really appreciated the huge granite boulders of the California coast Mm -hmm. versus the high mesas and whatnot of Monument Valley. Um, So his understanding of the landscape comes through really clearly. And as you kind of browse between all the different prints that are on display, um, if you're familiar with the region at all, you, there's a lot of iconic views that jump out. You can definitely see, yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. You can definitely see how, you know, that this is definitely our region, you know, within these uh, block prints. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so basically for the listener, um, I'm going to actually uh, post uh, just a, a few photos that are from the exhibit that is going on uh, with, with his block prints here at the Moab Museum. Um, on our Facebook page right now. So if you would like to, if you can, uh, go to our Facebook page. Um, that is uh, uh, Moab History Hour KZMU on Facebook. And uh, you will see uh, some of these uh, block prints. Uh, but do not let that deter you from going into the museum and checking <laughs> it out for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm definitely going to be down there uh, to uh, to uh, check these out too, for sure. So um, Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. It's- The exhibit has been up for a couple of weeks and will be up through February. The exhibit is made possible thanks to the Utah Department of Arts and Museums. They coordinate a variety of traveling exhibits that make their way around the state. And this is one of those. So we are grateful for them and glad to be able to offer this to the Moab community. It's awesome. Nice. Yeah, he sounds like he just has, I think one of my favorite things, he just has like that spirit of the adventurer. I mean, from 15 years old, you know, and for a 15-year-old back then, I feel like 15-year-olds were a lot different back then. <laughs> you know, I hear stories of, you know, within the region, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, Kent Frost, you know, at 16 years old, him and his cousin decided to hike from the top of the Abajos all the way to the top of the Henry's. And they wow. went on this big, long adventure, him and his cousin did, um, and um, at that at that young of an age. And, um, but, wow, that just, that just sounds like, you know, I, I love that, that sense of adventure, you know, that, that, that you know, Everett had. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I think that resonates here in Moab, um, maybe even more (laughs) than in other places. We are such a a destination for wanderers today Mm -hmm. as a community. Yeah, and I love how they have an influence on, like, today's society and today's culture, you know, because you were speaking of Edward Abbey, which is a huge Moab name, um, and uh, with being a naturalist and different things like that. And, um, um, you know, just, you know, I'm sure Edward Abbey got a hold of, uh, some of these quotes, you know, and um, read the story about uh, Everett Ruiz. And, um, and you've, you've got some of those quotes here with us. Yeah. yeah I, we, can, we can get into some of these quotes here that Everett awesome. Ruiz did. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about these. Sure. <laughs> I, I brought a few that I thought kind of encapsulate a flavor of who he is and how he is. Okay. Um, one that gets trotted out a lot. Um, I think probably the first one that would come up if you were to Google Everett Ruiz quotes is, I have seen almost more beauty than I can bear, which (laughs) is sometimes his writing is um, kind of critiqued or interpreted as kind of adolescent because he was an adolescent. And there's this really effusive, poetic really really enthusiastic sincere quality to a mm-hmm. lot of his writing mm-hmm. and also consider consider the audience and the readership a lot mm-hmm. of the works that we the writing we have today from Everett are letters 
he wrote to his parents from hmm. remote little towns around the West. And he's gushing. A lot of what he has to write is just just plain gushy. Yeah. And sometimes you look at that and you kind of <laughs> smile and and <laughs> some might roll their eyes a little and say like, oh man, this starry-eyed <laughs> kid. But yeah. I mean, maybe maybe teenagers were really different back then and yeah. maybe we're actually pretty similar after all because yeah. I think a lot of people connect with with those quotes like that mm-hmm. and that, that starry-eyed wanderlust mentality mm-hmm. that he had and see see some of themselves. Mm-hmm. Generations of desert wanderers have found inspiration in Ruiz's words and found some connection to to make mm-hmm. to their own life, yeah. which is pretty special. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Starry-eyed wanderers. <laughs> yeah. Along along similar lines, uh-huh. another quotation um, from one of his letters was, I prefer the saddle to the streetcar and the star-sprinkled sky to a roof, the obscure and difficult trail leading into the unknown to any paved highway, and the deep peace of the wild to the discontent bred by cities. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's That's pretty deep. <laughs> I like that because that really sort of shows like like where his mind was and kind of like where his heart lied. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I like that one a lot. Absolutely. And he did indeed spend a lot of time in the saddle in, mm-hmm. between riding and exploring on horseback and with his burrows. And it's yeah. it's pretty challenging country to explore in detail. Mm-hmm. Um as residents of Moab oh, well know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Super rough country. <laughs> yeah. Another another one that just makes such a good postcard, so therefore I made it into a postcard oh, that people nice. can send at the museum, <laughs> nice. is, while I am alive, I intend to live. I intend to live while it's, I'm alive. Wow. It's simple. <clears throat> There's a lot of ways to interpret that. And yeah. that's another one that's made its way onto to T-shirts and postcards mm-hmm. and things of the sort over the years mm-hmm. that's definitely a really good one yeah <laughs> while i'm alive because that's kind of like you know while i'm alive i intend to live that's i feel like he's probably like one of the first people that probably sort of coined something like that you know from what from what we can tell you know with, with modern history you know and you know I've, I've heard the quote you know live before you die you know type of thing and i feel like it just sort of sort of sort of branches off of these things that he was coming up with as a kid as a teenager i should say yeah as a teenager and uh just just to see the world the way that he did you know i Mm -hmm. feel like everybody can learn from these simple little quotes you know that are just you know so simple very few words but they go so so deep if you really break it down in your mind so yeah absolutely there's there's another one and we haven't really gone into much his disappearance Mm -hmm. um again he disappeared when he was about 20 and or when he was 20 in Mm -hmm. 1934 around escalani utah Mm -hmm. and a quote that i think kind of very spookily foreshadows that is i'll never stop wandering and when the time comes to die i'll find the wildest loneliest most desolate spot there is Wow. 
(laughs) (laughs) And he said that before he disappeared. Indeed. Wow. Wow. Now, I... Let's let's talk here for a moment on that subject here of his um, disappearance. So, so so he disappeared, and you said 1934, mm-hmm. right? and he was 20 years old in Escalante. Um, did he send like block? So, if you're did he send block prints back to home? Like, so I know we've got a lot of, of his block prints on and displayed sure. at the museum right now and some of his uh, drawings and paintings and stuff. How, how were those acquired? Do you know? Yeah, great mm-hmm. question. Um, so a lot of the block prints were made during his intermittent returns to civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Go back to California, see the family, mm-hmm. make some prints. Um, if if you ever get into the medium a little bit, it he was working um, doing line of cut, which is carving yes. into like a linoleum kind of thick, think thick plastic block with a little, um, little chisel-like knife. Mm-hmm. And it's messy, and yeah. if you're printing and you want really smooth, dust-free prints and flat surfaces to roll your ink and press your materials with, um, it's a lot easier to do that indoors mm-hmm. than out. So yeah. a lot of the gotcha. prints were actually made um, when he was, indoors. Yeah, so he probably sketched these things when he was wandering around the wilderness, and then when he would go back to civilization make yeah. those okay All yes right. and then the prince in turn returned to the to the field to the wilderness when he was out journeying around he would bring a a stash of them and trade them for food for mm. shelter give them as gifts and thanks to the folks that let him stay with mm-hmm. him he traveled all around the four corners and all around the West and often would maybe kind of overstay his welcome at some ranch with some generous folks that took him in mm-hmm. or um, crash in spots that were abandoned. Um, so while he spent a lot of time in the backcountry, he also spent time um, with people mm. in the, the communities that he visited okay. and the prints were really a big part of making that happen because mm-hmm. he was young. He didn't have other sources of income, though he did come from a family that had means to help him as well. Um, so the prince, prince really made it happen for him. Mm-hmm. They were a creative outlet, but they were also an important trading item and oh, part bet, of yeah. how he was able to ingratiate himself mm-hmm. and pull off all of the journeys. Yeah. But the the blocks um, mostly were with his parents back in California, mm-hmm. and after his disappearance and presumed passing, um, many years later, those original line of cut blocks were actually restored by the Utah Department of Arts and Museums in collaboration with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Oh, awesome. nice. They pitched in to. Um, I don't know exactly what it entails to restore a line of cut block, Mm -hmm. but um, (laughs) they got some TLC that um, preserved them. Mm -hmm. And we actually have some images of the blocks 
on display as part of the exhibit. And it's really cool to see these old kind of weathered, crusty looking yeah. um, blocks that make these beautiful prints that have survived Interesting. for nearly a century. Wow. So it's kind of like one of those stories where, you know, I feel like because he did disappear and he did all these writings and stuff, you know, there was somehow they got out there, you know, to where now he's famous. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, I'm sure all this stuff his family had. Um, Mm -hmm. And when they learned of his disappearance and, you know, so like, you know, sounds like, you know, it took a little while, you know, for it to get out and for him to be famous. You know, uh, if Edward Abbey was getting a hold of him, you know, way back in the 50s or, you know, maybe even like, you know, the late 40s. So, you know, I would would love to, to know how how he got so famous after he had disappeared. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I mean, some of the, some of the recognition did happen in his lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been trading prints with Ansel Adams and hanging out with those sorts of folks. Mm -hmm. He um, spent some time in San Francisco um, getting to know, people in that circle and was sort of admired or regarded as like an awfully precocious young traveler. Um, A lot of those folks, I think someone said he is at once an old friend and at other times a very young friend. Yeah. Uh, was one of the the quotes that one of his friends um, wrote about him, which I think uh, offers a lot, you know, he had a, old soul and easy to connect with and Mm -hmm. very very outgoing and gregarious clearly he made a lot of connections with even while he was alive even while he was alive yeah Yeah. huge impact and then wow okay yeah and then and then i think it's a similar thing to alexander supertramp christopher mccandless disappearing part of part of why the story resonates so much today and part of why people fixate on it today is the disappearance part like would he Mm -hmm. it's hard to say would he be so well known yeah (laughs) (laughs) had he not passed away yeah so so young in the way that he did um wow i feel like this guy though i feel like i feel like everett ruiz would have been because i mean and he was rubbing shoulders and you know doing stuff with Ansel Adams. I mean, which is a massive name in the art world. Indeed. Probably one of the biggest names in modern in modern art, you know, and uh in all of his photos and stuff. So Sure. You know, and I and I wonder, you know, it's kind of st- sort of stop and think about maybe who who did Everett Ruiz gain inspiration from? You know, cuz back then he was probably looking at magazines and books you know from like old explorers who had gone out into the canyon country and the sierras and you know before photography Mm -hmm. and they were just you know um you know well before photography could be you know was able to get out there easily people were just sketching you know and just drawing pictures of what they were seeing so you know he probably idolized you know some of those guys too to gain inspiration go explore and wander and yeah just doing that Absolutely. Mm. And, and also, as he was traveling through the wilderness, he was visiting 
the communities and really connecting with people Mm -hmm. in those communities. I mean, reading his letters, he would interact with all sorts of folks. He spent some time interacting with archaeologists who were um, working near Mesa Verde and around the Four Corners area at that time. Um, He got to know Hopi tribal members, Navajo tribal members, um, Euro-American settlers of Utah. His letters back to his parents kind of detail all sorts of interactions with with real everyday people. And I think that's that's something else that people connect with when they hear Ruiz's story is. Sounds to me like he had a big personality. You know what I mean? You know, because I'm sure that there were, you know, wanderers here and there, you know, back then also. Um, just vagabonds, just kind of blowing in and out of a town mm-hmm. uh, that no one would really pay attention with. But it seems like, you know, to make all of these connections, he had to have been a really just outgoing, really just big personality, you know, to connect and make an impact on these communities that he was going in and out of. Yeah. Um, you know, just kind of like dissecting that, you know, so big personality indeed (laughs) absolutely and a big a big legacy today you know i can and also i'm also kind of like imagining this in my mind you know him just kind of going into a town and people are like what are you doing he's like oh i'm just out you know tramping around and this is what i do here's my work check it out and you know they're like this kid (laughs) comes in here with his horse and two burrows into this town and so he was probably, you know, with, with what he was doing and with his personality, he was probably just kind of like a major curiosity to people. Absolutely. And I think that's probably kind of what sort of maybe launched him in a lot of different ways. And, um, yeah, definitely for sure. Indeed. Yeah. He um, was not universally <laughs> loved and admired and appreciated. During his travels, there were um, definitely those that saw oh. him as kind of a, like, ah, this starry-eyed kid that just wanders around mm. and crashes at people's houses. Get a houses. real job. Yeah. <laughs> Get a real job. <laughs> yeah. um, and I feel, like, I feel like, you know, in today's society, you know, with the modern day, what we would call in Moab a dirtbag, right? <laughs> Someone who just is has this same view on the world and the same uh, view with nature and they choose to live sort of almost similar as to whatever Ruiz was doing mm-hmm. and you know uh, we uh, they see a lot of cool support people love what they're doing but then also there's that side where it's like mm, get a real job you know <laughs> yeah and uh, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah yeah definitely for sure <laughs> yeah awesome Well, I think real quick, we're going to take a uh, real quick little break here. Um, So, so yeah, we're going to take a nice little water break here. So uh, it is the desert, folks. So make sure you are drinking plenty of water today, too. So (laughs) even though it is not too hot. So we'll be right back here in just a few short moments. Between the mountain peaks, I've listened long to the sea's brave music on canyon trails. Where the night winds were a-blowing Blowing, sighing gently through the pines Musing, I walked behind my placid burrow While water rushed and broke on the rocks below I sang my song 
trees, red sand blowing beneath the turquoise skies. I have felt the rain a drifting, slept behind the waterfall, the aspen glades that whisper wild sorrows. In cool, sweet grasses, I have lain and I have heard the ghostly murmur. Here with the History Hour, and if you are just now tuning in, we have Miss Mary Langworthy from the Moab Museum in the studio today, and we are talking about the life of Everett Ruiz, who was a vagabond um, as a young man from the age of 15 to the age of 20 in this area, and uh, who came through the Canyon Country region and uh, did a lot of block prints and, and artwork based around things that he saw um, on his uh, adventures out here. So, uh, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about his disappearance, which is a mystery. Is that right? Indeed, yes. Thank you, Blaine. Um, Everett Ruiz disappeared in 1934. He left on November 20th from 1934 out into the Utah desert with two donkeys from Escalante and was never seen again. He had told his parents that he would be unreachable for about two or three months in a letter. He let them know he was planning to head off the grid for quite a while. Um, and after after a while, um, they became worried. They had not heard from him since. He had not turned up back in town since. So they reached out to uh, the the postmaster of the town and um decided they basically decided to form a search party hmm. after um he hadn't been heard from for 
for quite a while. So um, several local um, men of the Escalante area were um, set out to wander around and found his two donkeys on the north side of Davis Gulch, which is a canyon of the Escalante River. And the only other sign of Ruiz himself was a little corral he had made at a campsite and an inscription that the search party found with the words NEMO, that's N-E-M-O, 1934. And apparently that's an inscription that Ruiz probably made. Um, it was a, a inscription that had been found elsewhere, um, and the search party and later archaeologists have kind of attributed that to him. Okay. Um, but by uh, March 15th, um, the the local folks over in Escalante actually ended up calling off the search party because they had kind of exhausted their search of that area and had not found him. Um, so, so later searches um, in the following year um, covered covered a much larger area. Mm-hmm. Um, folks had been curious if maybe he wouldn't wouldn't turn up a little bit farther afield than where that campsite um, near Escalante had been. And um, that that was also unsuccessful. Um, but as as typically happens, um, kind of ideas arose and people started thinking up theories and, and wondering where he went. And that persisted for decades and decades. And um, many years later, um, around 2009, there was a, a gravesite found on Comb Ridge, quite far away from where yeah. he disappeared, yeah. near Bluff, that added to the mystery. Um, yeah. Some locals had claimed that um, Ruiz had been murdered there by two um, Ute Native Americans, but the the bones and the teeth found in the grave um, that was identified as, as part of that um, did roughly match Ruiz's age. Um, And there was publication of um, some information saying, we we figured it out, we've we've found him. Um, But later, uh, dental records, um, actually, and some um, work from the state archaeologist of Utah um, determined that the remains were actually probably not Ruiz's. and were um, that really kind of put put it back into the, put it right <laughs> back into the mystery back into the mystery category. Um, wow. So there was a, a a lot of excitement kind of around then, around about two thousand nine, thinking that it had been solved at last. Um, mm. But uh, later later DNA um, evidence and mm. dental records indicated that. After all, um, it was a mystery still, and uh, folks have um, traipsed up and down in his uh, last known campsite area with that Nemo inscription, um, and thought, you know, maybe he fell off of this high cliff into a crack, maybe X, Y, Z, and the long and short of it is 
it it still remains a mystery. It's very much a mystery that has engaged and captivated a lot of people. Mm-hmm. The exhibit at the museum right now doesn't really wade into this territory at all and right. really just is focused on his block prints and creative legacy, but mm-hmm. um, the mystery of his disappearance and presumed death hmm. um, remains a question. Hmm. I wonder if there's like, uh, do you know if there's like, I know this has been such a long time ago. This is 1934, Mm -hmm. you know, and here we are in 2022. Like, like, uh, do we know of any like ongoing investigations into this? Like, are there people currently that are still trying to solve this mystery of what happened to him? Yeah, there's, it's a continued topic of, conversation and curiosity and the great thing about ruiz's story is there's some wonderful books about his life and the mystery around his disappearance Mm -hmm. um back of beyond as always a great place to go for those Um, (laughs) rich in um local literature including a couple of great selections about ruiz um Everett Ruiz, A Vagabond for Beauty, um, published in 83 by W.L. Rusho, hope I'm saying that right, is um, a really lovely selection of Ruiz's writings, some of his artwork, some photographs, and uh, afterward by Edward Abbey. And um, there, there's a couple others that um, offer a more like research academic um, look into into the mysteries. Um, So yes, we'll send all interested museum visitors, listeners um, with us now Mm. on KZMU to Mm. Back of Beyond to dig into that a bit more. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, awesome, cool. So, you know, this, this, this is like, this is such an interesting story. And, uh, (laughs) you know, and it's, you know, one of those that, I, I am I am learning as as we're going along with this, you know, of of this particular person, and uh, just wow, thank you so much for for all of this. So so you've got some stuff going on at the museum right now with um, with some, uh, you know, I'll just I'll just kind of let you take over. Like, sure. What do you got going on? Yeah, we've <laughs> we've got a couple ways for folks to get involved and give printmaking a try. Um, so oh. Ruiz was a printmaker. He, mm-hmm. again, worked with Linacut prints. There's also woodblock prints, and you can make prints with a potato if you're, <laughs> if you're good. It's a really nice. versatile <laughs> medium, but one of the most practical and kind of more accessible um, printmaking practices and methods um, from the past is like printing press, letter press. Mm-hmm. And here in Moab, the Times Independent newspaper has still um, in their offices a treasure trove of old printmaking materials from when the newspaper was printed with old lead blocks and ink um, here in town. So as a way for folks to kind of engage with the printmaking process, the rolling out ink and applying it to a block and flipping it upside down and inevitably getting it backwards (laughs) because that happens to me every time, probably more than is statistically likely. Um, 
we have a couple of postcard printmaking workshops that we've been doing. Um, so folks can join us tomorrow from one to four or next Tuesday, December 6th from five to seven or December 13th, also Tuesday from one to four and make some postcards using historic, authentic type from the Times Independent. Yeah. Um, the world's cutest little printing press on loan from the Times Independent as well, and make a postcard if you want to send the postcard in the spirit of Everett Ruiz. Bonus points for you. Um, but it's it's a ton of fun. We've had a couple yeah. of these workshops already. It's just a, a fun way to dabble in a, perhaps a new art form and kind of get hands-on with a couple layers of regional history. Ruiz's story and then the the Times Independent. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Wow. So it kind of bridges one to the other. <laughs> that is awesome. So will this information be on the on the Moab Museum um, website? And Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah, cool. we it's, it's, so it's on the calendar, so folks want to check out the calendar. Yes. Okay, nice. You can check out our, our website, our Facebook page, our Instagram page, um, things of that sort to get the details on those. We'll nice. also be um, soon announcing a intro block printing workshop um, for later in January in collaboration with the folks at The Mark and um, a writing workshop um, kind of inspired by Ruiz's wilderness writing that will be um, for the community in February. Cool. Right. So a couple... A couple uh, schemes in the mm -hmm. works there, bringing um, Ruiz's legacy to life. Um, the the songs actually that we heard just a yeah. little bit ago. Yes, the songs. Are, Let's um, talk about those for a second. <laughs> are another um, way to kind of bring Ruiz to life yeah. um, for folks that are interested. Mm -hmm. Those both come from Wilderness Song, an album by Dan Byrne. Uh, the first one was entitled Wilderness Song, Second Time to Live. And those were, um, that whole album mm -hmm. was written using quotations from Ruiz's own journals and his mm -hmm. own words and yeah. adapted into a absolutely delightful yeah. album. So absolutely. cannot recommend that highly enough. Yeah. If you come to a printing workshop, I'm playing it on repeat because it's a ton of fun. And just another way to kind of plug into this vibrant creative legacy that yeah. this individual has left behind. So Everett Ruiz, uh, just inspiring, just an inspiring, he inspired music of all things. That is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so incredible that some that just this story, you know, has mm -hmm. just has just gone so so far. And it just wow, this is incredible. <laughs> I'm 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 really loving this story a Yay. lot. <laughs> I am. So I think we're gonna we're gonna uh, bounce here, and uh, we're gonna play some more uh, music inspired by Everett Ruiz on our way out. And once again, thank you to Miss Mary Langworthy from the Moab Museum for coming back once again. And um, tune in next month, uh, last Monday at 4 p.m. for the History Hour. And once again, I am Blaine, your host and guide. And we will see you then. Country is overpoweringly beautiful. This certainly could be a glorious world.
miscellaneous haircuts. Put my clothes in my shoes, must be all the time replaced. Good music's hard to find unless you have money. Certainly. 